0: Now, I wanted to go back to your notes to uh, the anthropology question, the first one, and that was where I couldn't find uh, that verse. So go back to your anthropology notes and the very last part under section D, and I had written there Romans 8.26. And uh, if you could change that to Romans 6.23, and then we'll talk about Romans 6.23 later in this next section, but I did want to correct that for you. I knew that Romans 8.26 was not one of my, it's a great verse, but it's not one of the ones my favorite, and 6.23 is, we'll talk about that there. All right. Okay, friends, so let's begin, and we're going to deal with now soteriology. Uh, You do not have to know the word soteriology when you speak to your counselee. It's basically about things that deal with uh, salvation. But you will need to do and understand a lot about uh, salvation and how that actually uh, happens to bring a clarity to that. And so the first question says justification by faith alone, discuss the meaning of this phrase, and it has it in in quotes, and so you 're thinking about, "Oh whoa, I mean, how am I going to talk a page and a half about justification by faith alone, and so that 's why I have the notes here to sort of uh, these notes aren 't necessarily for you to copy. you can you know copy certain things and and use them, but they're they're also more of a primer of the pump of your own thinking to get you going, to get your thoughts organized, to to get rolling. So as you see, one of the first places they can start with are definitions. So basically what they're asking here is, how do you believe someone becomes saved? And so that's what they're asking and using in the framework of justification by faith alone. And a definition of justification is being declared... Righteous with god 's righteousness, so that 's the uh, mystery that has be, we 've become aware of from Romans and then Romans one seventeen that verse we looked at a little bit earlier uh, that uh, uh, had a great influence on uh, martin luther 's life and others now. Uh, Faith is very important here, so we need a definition for faith, and one that's here is is believing uh, that what God has said he will do, you know, he will do, and responding to it as such. So faith is not just a believing in your head sort of thing. Faith has a a response to it. In the scriptures, there's three words that are used somewhat synonymously. There is uh, faith that we're talking about here. There is uh, believing and trust. Now, f- faith is always used as a, a noun. There's really no verb. You're never faithing any, anything. But uh, that's where believing and trusting comes in. And uh, one of the things about faith, it's not a one-time, it is, it is a continuous. It's always happening in your life, the exercise uh, of it. And so uh, in Hebrews 11, you can look up those verses. There's some uh, examples of uh, those people of faith. And uh, if you look up Hebrews eleven six, that's where it says, Without faith, you can't please God. And we saw earlier in the scriptures at 2 Corinthians 5, 9, that's our role now, is to live in a way that pleases God. Since he saved us, now that's our response. We don't please God to be saved, but now that we are his children, that's how we should be living, uh, to and for our Father. And now examples of faith. uh, You have your own life of salvation. It may become... Uh, important to actually share how you moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light there. So those are just some uh, definitions and, and to ex- be able to explain to your counselee how faith plays out in your life. Faith when you made that great move and faith how it plays out on a, uh, a daily stage of life. Now let's go back to this justification by faith alone. This is actually a from a motto or a slogan, then the slogan is written there. Its justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, by the work of Christ alone. So this is actually, uh, if you wanted to put what happened at the time of the Reformation into a single phrase, this is the uh, condensation of that. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, by the work of Christ alone. It keeps us centered on the essentials of uh, how one is saved. So there's these three components here. One is that it is a personal salvation is a gift of God. That's what's picked up by uh, grace alone. It's... uh, and thinking about grace, here's an acronym for grace that I found helpful, is that it has the two components of grace. Grace just didn't happen a long time ago when you were saved. Grace is happening now. And uh, uh, you want to help your counselee realize, even in, as we talked about, even in their temptation, even in their trial, that uh, grace is everywhere and is happening all the time. And so, grace, an acronym, is is God's righteousness. That's what was given to you when you're saved. And now you have Christ's enablement to live a new life. That's pleasing to him. And you need both of those. Uh, continually, and you're grateful and thankful for both of those. Now, going back to this motto, we talked about the first part, that it's a, a free gift from God. Now the second part, through faith alone, that's how it, be, it becomes ours, our opening of the gift. So it's received through personal faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. and uh, C, this last uh, three, excuse me, Jesus was the one who did all the work. That very last one's very important. It's done by Christ alone, his work. Now, this is a key word, alone, that's very, very important. And uh, one of the things to realize, why that's there, it's never dependent on our work. It's Jesus' work that it's there. And another thing that's very important uh, for people, especially if you're living here in northern, uh, northern Kentucky, is that a lot of people that have lived in northern Kentucky who are very religious, they have, they have been taught that your salvation is very dependent on the church. Now we have a high regard for the church as the the fellowship of believers, but we don't believe that the church is the dispenser of grace, and that is a, that's a major component of uh, Catholicism. And so that's why when the reformers came up with this statement, justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, by the work of Christ alone. There. There, the, there's a value for the church, very important value, but it is not a dispenser of grace. It's not that it comes from God to the church and in the priest, the church uh, dispenses it. Okay. Now, this is God's doing alone. Now, this here, you don't necessarily have to include this in uh, your writings and probably it's definitely not necessary. But I just want to uh, note it here. Etc. Evangelicals and Catholics together, and uh, I used to not have this in here because it's something that happened a long, what you would call a long time ago. You fo- many of you folks, are long are young, and uh, so this happened around 1995. Evangelicals and Catholics together, and uh, uh, that's that's almost 20 years ago. It's a long time uh, for you folks, uh, but. I, I'm reading things where this is starting to happen again, and what happened in the early 1900s—not early 90s—the 1990s was actually some some very godly men, so ones that we uh, respect and respect very very highly. Uh, the two men that were major architects of this, and so you can see where even the best can can possibly go astray. It was uh, Chuck Colson and J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer wrote Knowing God. You certainly should know. Now, both of these men became very influenced by appreciation uh, of Catholics and Catholicism uh, because, uh, especially because of their work of, okay, Christ is important. Church is important to them. Christ and church are important uh, the schooling of our children, not by ourselves, but uh, not by the state, but by, our, by ourselves, that is very important. Also, the, the whole pro-life movement, now they have been major helpers and shakers in this, and uh, appreciate some of the stances that uh, Catholic uh, individuals, uh, lay people, and uh, major leaders have spoken out uh, against this and so, and, in fact, Chuck colson uh, uh in his second marriage he, he married a lady who was uh, Catholic so if you ever read a biography of him it's he 's always trying to work through this aspect of him be- becoming an evangelical believer and where Where does his wife stand, who stayed pretty much with the- with the Catholic Church and just uh wrestled uh, with it i read a, just read a recent biography, and so this, this is life that we're all uh, struggling with. So uh, Colson and, and Packer got together. They came up with a major document. And even some of your strong evangelical denominations accepted this. And the slogan they came out with was this same slogan that's written here. Justification, that, but they left out one word. And the statement read, justification is by grace, through faith, by the work of Christ. Now, uh, they should have known better. But uh, they didn't. And some of the denominations should have known uh, better when they accepted this. Well, what happened at that time was that uh, uh, John MacArthur... And uh, R.C. Sproul and James Kennedy, uh, who were all good friends with, with Packer and uh, with Colson. In fact, it was R.C. Sproul who deci- discipled Colson. And so they got together and they wrote a rebuttal to these men who were their very, very good friends and basically said that uh, go back to your, your Catholic friends who you're working with and you must have the word alone in the formula and uh, so uh it's now been 20 years but it's never come back with the word alone in it but i still hear rumblings because there are uh, there are many things that we can cooperate on uh with the the roman catholics uh and so forth but just be Just be careful here when you're talking about how grace really works, how someone has really saved. It is a gift from God, you know, that we receive by faith in him. And it is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and not alone. Okay? So, uh, now going on to see, you know... Want to explain in your answer? You know how does how does this work? And this again uh, is almost like the Trinity. This there's a mystery. You know, I don't know, what comes first and exactly in timing? But there are some th- things that are necessary uh, for a person to be justified by faith alone. Somehow, some way, the gospel has to be shared, and the gospel is what Paul talks about and what we have in Romans 1.16. He, he and we, we are not ashamed of the gospel. And it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. First f- for, you know, us, for everyone, it is that. And it's centered on Christ and Him Alone. Now, when a believer presents the gospel in witnessing, they're presenting the the truth about Christ and about what he perfectly provided for those who have received. Now, also, how does this justification by faith alone? You need an aspect where you have a working of the Holy Spirit, a regeneration of the Holy Spirit because we in ourselves are not able to exercise faith. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3 together. Romans chapter 3 and uh, add to your reference there where uh, you might have a little question mark there, that was a little note, and uh, add, you know, 10 through 11. And if someone, when they get to Romans chapter 3, if they would read out loud, uh, verses 10 and 11, please. And so there's no one that that understands. So without this regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that happens, you know, we won't understand. There's no way that we are righteous, that we want to live in a way that pleases God to glorify Him. And so, as I said earlier, uh, this is what Jesus Jesus was talking about when he spoke uh, to Nicodemus all right now in d here what what actually is the gospel? so I've given you some cliff notes there of the gospel, and if you you know look in first Corinthians fifteen, those uh three verses three, four, and five, some of that's here that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. That he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to many. Okay, that's a beginning part of the the good news. Okay, and that all those who wholeheartedly receive this truth receive all the benefits of being in Christ. Now, there's a in this here. Uh, I want to talk about some example of interaction of the gospel regeneration and our response for the gracious gift of justification. And uh, what's being talked about there is later today, have a look at Romans 10, these verses 8 through 15. And it's talking about there, someone needs to hear the gospel when they hear they believe. And then it's really interesting. Then as it talks about it, comes around and saying that, uh, well, how can someone... Hear and believe without someone going to tell them. So uh, it starts all over. And then, so once you've heard and believed, now it's your turn to do the part of the going. So whether you go across the the fence or across your cubicle wall or or across the ocean, we're now the part. Or it could be across the table uh, at, um, you know, here in Cincinnati, Skyline, Chile or something, you know, talking to, to someone and sharing uh, the gospel uh, with them. Now, counseling implications, we talked about this a little bit earlier, is the counselee may desperately need the gospel. Uh, even in Kentucky, this, this area here, there are enough folks wandering around who sort of know, know the answers, uh, so, you really have to really share it with them. And this book, Assurance of Salvation, we talked about by James McDonald, is very, very helpful. And uh, he uh, doesn't mince any words. You know, he speaks right to the point of okay, are you really living as a believer? That's where you, your assurance is not that you're. Your uncle was a Methodist preacher. You know, your, your assurance is not that you walked down the aisle. The assurance is not that you were baptized at a certain age. Uh, according to the scriptures, your assurance is, are you wrestling to try and live a life that's pleasing to uh, the Lord? But uh, almost everyone you speak to, you should be ready and prepared to share the gospel. So let's go to Romans 6.23, which was the uh, verse that I was looking for uh, earlier. And I just want to show you some parallel, parallel things in this here. And you might want to... Uh, I'll speak it to you. And as I speak it, uh, you can... Uh, in fact, I'll try and di- diagram it here for you. So as you talk, uh, talk to them... And you show it says, but for, uh for the wages, okay, so you talk about uh you talk about wages, okay, and then it has along with wages, there's the the wages of sin. Okay? And then uh the wages of sin is death. So basically what, as you're talking to the person, as you start doing this diagram, is that people are over here, starting out, the sin nature, and then, God, is here, and there's a great gulf, between them. And so the wages are, okay, if if someone's doing something, then you get paid for it. Well, what's happening here? We're working and doing sin, and so our wages become come death. And so it's a pretty sad story. We're here and God's over there, but fortunately, it's not the, the end of the story is that there is this tremendous word of hope of but so but the as opposed to wages we're talking about a gift and these come these wages come from our sin here the gift of god and for this here is eternal life. So you can see the parallel. Over, If you stay over on here, you've got wages from sin and death. And death isn't that you're going to, when you sin, you're going to just immediately keel over with a, with a heart attack or anything. Death is meaning this great divide between us and God. There's this separation. But because of God, there is the, left off the most important person here, gift of God. Okay? And that gift of God is eternal life. And it's not just eternal life that you're going to live uh, forever with him. Eternal life starts now. You will know God. That's what uh, John 17:3 is about. So, but all of this happens uh, through a particular person, person, being that makes all the difference. And that is Jesus Christ. So he is the one, Oops, let me drop that down, that he creates... Jesus Christ. And so he is the one his dying on the cross makes it possible for us to have eternal life and have union with him. And our role is to make Jesus Christ in our heart, as it says Jesus Christ the Lord. Right. And so just to be able to to take a, a simple verse like this from the scriptures and be able to present uh, the gospel uh, to someone. This this is uh, uh, this is popularized. Some of you may have been influenced by Navigator Ministry, and they have uh, what they call the bridge illustration, and there are there are twelve verses that go along with it. So you can look that up on the internet, and you can very very excellent uh, presentation of the gospel, uh, but. Um, there's also the one verse method, you know, just working off of, of Romans 6:23, and so this is one that I found uh, helpful, and always, sometime during the counseling, uh, share this. As I said, counseling implications: counseling may desperately need the gospel, and so they need to exercise faith. Uh, they are not going to move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light on necessarily your ability to share the gospel or present the one verse with 12 verses or, excuse me, the bridge illustration with 12 verses or the one verse method or whatever method you use. You certainly want to be equipped as God enables you to be. Uh, But it's going to be... uh, the regeneration and justification is going to be a work of God. Remember that. So uh, don't get mad at their stubbornness uh, to the gospel. And don't think that they're an idiot because of what you see you know, so clearly, remember that uh, it was God who opened your eyes had the scales fall uh, off so you could see the greatness and wonder of this. So don't get frustrated. Keep praying uh, for them. All right. So does that give you at least some guideline of, how, how am I going to write a page, a page and a half on uh, justification by faith alone? I'm not even sure really what fully they mean there. But that'll give you some idea, at least some framework to start hanging your hat, hang your words uh, words on. Yeah. All right. So let's look at the next one. This, this whole uh, time we're going to just work on... Uh, soteriology about salvation. Now, this next one in in question two, sanctification is said to be past, present, and future. Discuss including the idea of union with Christ. So I have some notes down here, hopefully to help you also get going on this. Now, uh, this this is... uh, not that everything isn't key, but sanctification and an understanding of sanctification is a uh, foundation to biblical counseling, and this is this is where a lot of people that you will meet have really no concept of sanctification or a very very a, a weak. Immature view uh, of it. So this will be very important as you work through this question to uh, develop your own conviction. And as your conviction develops, be able to present that in a simplified uh, way. Because you're not going in a counseling session to say, you know, what your problem is that you have a poor view of sanctification. I, I tell you, I've probably tried that, and it does not work. Uh, so you're going to have to explain and just work through these things. Also, you might not have ever realized that sanctification uh, has a, a past, present, and future. You're probably, when you've dealt with sanctification, uh, dealt more with the uh, present aspect of sanctification. But when it's used in scriptures, it uh, really the word has the full implications of the past. So let's look at uh, the past state, we'll look at the present, and then we'll go on to the, the future. So this A is dealing with the past state, is that uh, the past state of sanctification is that sanctification and holy are two very intertwined uh, words. Basically, t- sanctification is meaning that you are holy. And in the past state, it's referring uh, to holy, meaning there, as being separate, called out for a special use. It talks in the Scriptures about the utensils that were used in the um, tabernacle, that they were holy. It wasn't that they were living a good life or anything like that. It's that they were uh, separate for this use to be used to honor God. And so that's what... Uh, We were now. When does this past occur? Well, if you can pull back the curtain and see when did this really happen, according to Scripture, uh, your sanctification happened before the foundation of the world. All right, that's pretty amazing. So that's when you read the Book of Ephesians, the six chapters there, basically the first three chapters are pulling back the curtain and really showing what your position is in Christ, then the next three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, are saying, well if you have this position in Christ and are this kind of person sanctified then this is how you will have progress in responding in 4, 5, and 6. So that's what's Happening Now, for you, you're not going to realize that you were, you were saved before the foundation of the, the world. You're not going to realize that until the, your time of regeneration. Now, we've talked a lot about that yes, last night and today. Regeneration, that's when the Holy Spirit comes into you and changes your hearts and opens your eyes to be able to exercise faith. Remember that this is uh, God's gift and it's a god's gift of a brand new uh nature, a nature now that that acknowledges there's a God that wants to live for God, that wants to please God all of this under the past day it's a great blessing for us, and as you remember ephesians one three all the spiritual blessings in the heavens are ours, okay that's part of our being declared holy, that's part of our sanctification. So you'll see some of the references there to um, Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verses 3 to 15. And uh, one of the things that you can do is just take a highlighter and just go through it and highlight all the places that it says in Christ, from Christ, through him. All these things that Christ had done. And even just sit across on the same side of the table, you know, with your counselee and to show them all that they have there in, in Christ. And there was this interesting side, when, when Paul wrote from verses 3 to 15, uh, he was just so excited that uh, there, there's, uh, it's all one run-on sentence. I mean, he just kept on rolling about all that Christ has, has done, done for us there. Um, now, let's talk about it in B, in its present form. Because of all this that God has done, now there's a present form of being sanctified, of living. It's responding to God's great mercy by living a progressively more righteous life in order to please God. we talked about 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Now, how do we live this new life? We still live this new life on not by us. Okay, now I got to do this. Uh, we live it by the power that's working in us. The, one of the major things that the Holy Spirit does is He is the one who's trans, transforming us. Now, when we think about transformation, probably the verse that comes to your mind is Romans twelve two. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Now uh, that's that is certainly true. But let's take a moment and go to Second Corinthians and look at chapter three. At this verse here, uh, chapter three, eighteen, the very last verse there, and we all who, with unveiled faces, cont- contemplate, or there's a footnote there, uh, reflect. I like to put the word reflect there. Who, with unveiled faces, reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed. So really, the in this sentence, the subject is we, that's us, that's your counselee. The, uh, there's all kinds of verbial phrases going on here, but basically the main verb of the sentence is we are being transformed. Okay? And uh, this is happening. Now, we are being transformed. What are we being transformed into? We're being transformed into his image. And you would if you read the context of what's being talked about above, this is, the His is, uh, this is God's image with ever-increasing glory. This is happening more and more. And this comes from the Lord. And there it says, when referring to the Lord, who that is. It is the Spirit that's working in you now. And so to, to help your counselee see that, Romans 12, Romans 12, 2, which is our typical transformation verse, I believe should be only used following this verse. The one doing the major work of sanctification, progressively living more like Christ, it is the Spirit who is doing this work, desirous of doing this work. It is, Romans 12, 2, is a verse of cooperation. That is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of mind. Our cooperation with the power of God in us so that we will be transformed and his full work, uh, you know, can, can be done. All right, so this is the new life that we now need to live according to his, to his word. And you all were exposed to this diagram of sanctification in uh, fundamentals, fundamentals. Uh, Basically, remember this here to erase some of this. And if this is time down here, and this is, you know, being more like Christ. being more like Christ, that when you became a Christian at this time onward, you were, it has some ups and downs to it, unfortunately, but that's the way God does it. But it should have a progressiveness of moving upward. Many people believe, you know, once I became a Christian, that, well, you know, uh, he saved me, just as I am. Yeah, he did save you, as just as you am. But that am is not to last for ever. Uh, and then, unfortunately, some Christians, some people who say they're Christians, believe that their life can actually go this direction because now that i am saved it doesn't matter how i live because christ has covered all my sins hasn't he so this is very for, to many people this is a very different idea of this progressive sanctification and this is what is happening now and there are some str- i mean there are some really strong statements that even for strong believers can sort of blow you away i've been meditating on these verses in first peter 1 13 through 16, where it says, uh, you know, uh, since I'm holy, you also live a, a holy life. And uh, so that's really grabbed me, uh, really thinking about, uh, you know, what areas of my life are I sort of uh, coasting in and not really living for the Lord. And the one thing I keep remembering, if, if you're coasting, you're usually going downhill, you know you don 't usually coast on a flat surface, you might think you 're 're plateau but if you 're coasting you 're going down downhill, so be careful of of coasting uh, there so some other references for you to look up as you 're working uh, uh, through this now, I do want to take a, a moment here in dealing with this uh, progressive sanctification and all and i want to I want to pop over to Ephesians chapter 4. Because sometime in counseling, you will definitely uh, use Ephesians chapter 4. I would like to encourage you that you... uh, One of the problems, and I'll say it again and again to you because it's something we fall into, I fall into is that we become behaviorists and we're just interested in getting good so-called godly behavior out of people. That's not what biblical counseling is really about. We're trying to create a fertile environment for the Spirit of God to work to change people's hearts so that then their lives reflect their hearts. So remember, uh, write it, Write it at the top. I'm going to give you, we'll talk about it later, but it, it fits here. Let me give you a definition for repentance. A repentance, so just so we can keep things, this will help you not become just a behaviorist, to get good behavior out of a person. Repentance is a radical change in the heart that is reflected in the radical way a person lives. Repentance is a radical change in the heart that is reflected in the radical way a person lives. So we just don't want to concentrate on the radical way a person lives and neglect the heart. What we really want to do is Spirit is working on the heart. We want to cooperate with the Spirit. He's using us. We should be very grateful that it has such a role for us. Work on the heart, and then it should be Reflected. What's happening, this fits into this progressive sanctification, is that if someone's not having a radical change in the way they live, something's really wrong here in the heart. Okay? That's how it, it works and it, uh, it uh, fits. But let me, let me, let's go here to Ephesians 4. A lot of times counselors will jump to Ephesians 4 really quick. And I want to ask you, please... Never, ever go to Ephesians 4 until they have a handle on Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Their position in Christ and what has been done for them and the power that they have. Because often, these are great verses, Ephesians 4, uh, verses uh, 22 through uh, 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self. This is that mechanism of the put off, put on. This is part of Romans 2, uh, 12, 2, where we, where we cooperate with the Spirit. We identify idols of our heart. We identify uh, sinful attitudes. And we want to put those things off. And when a person is not growing as progressive sanctification is, this is where they're staying. They're staying in verse 22 is that they're living with regard to the former way of life that corrupted by deceitful desires. They're hung up there. What you're doing is you're doing verse 23. You're coming along and you are putting into their mind the new attitudes, just not what you think is a good idea, but you are bringing new attitudes that they should have in their mind from the Word of God so that... They can live this life, the progressive life that's reflected, reflective of the Lord, verse 24, to put on the new self that we have, this new self that's talked about in the first three chapters of Ephesians, uh, and this new self, and just imagine, just, just think about this here, of each one of us, that we are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Each one of us sitting here. This is what God has for us. Now, that is not going to fully happen in the present. So that's where sanctification moves to the future. So let's, in your notes, go down to see the future state. That's at the time of our glorification. That's when we die. In the... uh, And you look at Romans 8, 29 through 30. It talks about glorification there and uh, uh, so forth. So how does that help us respond to sin? Uh, At that point, when we are in heaven, we'll be finally able to say, we are not even going, not able to sin there. That will be great. Uh, Before we became Christians, we were in a state that... uh, we weren't able not to sin. Now we're at a point where we don't have to sin, and in the future we're not going to be even able uh, to sin. So it's a picture of this new state. It's the new heaven and the new earth. So encourage your person. They're probably going, as we said, through some horrendous things in their life. You read to them and with them from Revelation. Uh, there in chapter 21 in Revelation 22, it's going to be no more death or mourning uh, there since there's no more sin uh, there. The, in twenty chapter 22, verse 3, there's no more curse. There's no more penalty for sin, no more uh, judgment. So the, that is the time of our glorification. That's sanctification starting in the, the past, There's an aspect of the present that's very important and there's this part in the future. Saved before the foundation of the world, referred to as holy, now progressively living out that holiness and you have had the privilege of coming alongside to help someone do that and then in the future you all will be together in heaven living in a glorified uh, state and uh, uh, so forth. So impact, impact, that sanctification has on counseling, uh, past, remember their new, remind them of their new position with God, uh, present. Uh, I always use this illustration of if you had a child and that child was, was three years old and that child had not grown at all since they were one and a half, uh, you would be spending every resource that you have to Find out, you know, what's going on here? Why hasn't this child grown? Well, the same thing with Christians. We expect our children to physically grow, young people physically grow. The same thing with Christians. We need to speak to each other and expect and encourage one another to continue to grow. And if someone hasn't, you know, those warnings about coasting and, and so forth. Oh, there. Good. Uh, Future, in God's kindness, a struggle will end. and You will arrive as one of God's God's children uh, there. So uh, down there where you see the number two, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless uh, in his uh, sight. So that has tremendous implications. So you can see what you're really doing in counseling is you are helping do progressive sanctification. You're not really doing counseling. What you're doing is you're discipling. And uh, uh, we talk about here, at our church, we talk about there are three types of discipleship that happen. And most people are in some of these phases we're in all the time. uh, Counseling, the part we may be in, most of us are in at least once in our lives, if not more. Uh, But the three phases are, is that you have general discipleship. So when someone preaches on a Sunday morning, it's what we call general discipleship. They hope the word of God goes out and the spirit uses it, applies it to people's lives That part of sanctification, and they grow and change. Then we have a major aspect of uh, being in small groups. If you want to become a member at Grace Fellowship Church, you have already have to be an active participant in in a small group. It's a major place for you to grow. That's personal discipleship. the, The small group leader and the rest of the folks in the group, you know, you're you're interacting. Together. You're doing what it says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You're spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And, growing in love and good deeds, that's what we're talking about. That's progressive sanctification uh, there. And then sometimes someone is stuck. They have a, a sin that has entrapped them. It talks about in Hebrews. And they need someone to come alongside for a period of time. So we have a small group, the personal discipleship. Then you have personal intensive discipleship. That's basically what counseling is. Still, all three of those discipleship aspects, the preaching, the small group transformation, and the intensive or intentional transformation that happens in counseling, they're all part of the spectrum of progressive sanctification. So you see how that fits and how understanding of sanctification and, but your council probably is not going to really, un, may I not understand that at all, that they should even be really growing to be more like Christ. You got to be, you know, sit there, you got to be kidding me that I'm to be be like Christ. So, but you can help, you will be helping them along. All right, let's do three. Let's work through this. Quickly, this is another. This uh, a persevere is another key to uh, biblical counseling, and a lot of these we're going to pick up again. And you're going to write almost the same things when you do the counseling exam, uh, but just different phases of it. This perseverance is is once is just an aspect of this progressive sanctification under soteriology. If you are saved you are going to persevere. It's a part of the salvation position. In fact, if you are not persevering, our understanding of Scripture is that you are not saved. If you are not progressively growing in Christ, and you, are, especially if you are on the downward line, we can give you no assurance that you even are in, in the kingdom. So uh, looking at it here, You can see there's this acrostic that some have used in the past. Uh, The first one is the T, stands for total depravity. The last one, the P, is the perseverance of the saints or preserving grace. It's not that we're, you know, in the old days they wrote it as perseverance of the saints. That sounded more like we were doing the work. Now they refer to it as preserving grace. It's more work on God's part and we're cooperating to continue to grow we will persevere through this life what's it mean a christian will live a continuing and deepening relationship uh, with christ and living more uh, like him and how do you persevere you know christ holds on tight to us and in him we will grow in christless christ likeness through the power he's given us to live this increasingly more godly life. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, what's the uh, outcome of this? Uh, let's look at uh, Philippians quickly 1.6 here. Philippians 1.6. This is the outcome of this perse- perseverance. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He who made you a new creature will have you continue to grow to be one. Now, what relationship does this have in counseling? How does this fit in? A a counselee is to be living a righteous life that pleases God. You'll see verses there talk about pleasing and living a good directed life according to God's word and doing this according to the Spirit. Now, look here at this last part. What what about those who profess to be Christians but are not persevering well? This is what you're going to run into, and this is going to be a challenge to your your own heartstrings and as you help uh, the person. Now, examples of this might be... uh, Someone not persevering well. Okay, they're not biblically fellowshiping with other believers. Uh, that might, you know, we might not think that's the the worst thing in the world. But uh, uh, with all the one another commands in the scriptures and Hebrews ten twenty four and twenty five and so forth, uh, you know, something it's you know even for an extreme introvert like myself, it's uh, this is something's radically wrong here if you don't want to be with uh, other believers. Uh, in Christ, and so, or certainly uh, this one here someone that 's uh, continuing to commit adultery talks about in first Corinthians six uh, Galatians uh, chapter five, it talks about people who continue in this kind of lifestyle that uh, uh, they're, they're not of the kingdom of God. And when the scriptures say you're not of the kingdom of God, basically that's a shorthand way of saying, you know, you're not, you're not saved if this is characteristic uh, of you. And so uh, you, you cannot give this person an assurance of salvation. There's going to be people who are living uh, sinful lives that the scripture is very clear about, and they're going to come to you that's the in this question is in there. They're going to come to you and want assurance from you that I'm all right. I'm all right with God. I was once saved, always saved, uh, pulled out of the hat. Uh, yes, once saved, always saved as you live as once saved. You know, it's a good indicator that you originally were uh, saved. Uh, so uh, a book that's very, very helpful with this is that little letter of 1 John. Basically, 1 John is a book about assurance, saying who's in the kingdom and who is not in the kingdom. So let's quickly turn uh, there to 1 John. Go to chapter 5 there toward the end and um, look at verse 13. Now, this this is key also. Uh, We'll run into a lot of this here in the the tri-state area of northern Kentucky, Cincinnati, and Indiana. This is also because of the heavy Catholic influence because part of Catholicism is uh, you really never have assurance that you're saved. And so people will really, even, I have, uh, I ministered in an area in Kansas, Beth and I did. We did our first church plant there. And uh, it was an area called Hayes, Kansas, and it was 90% Roman Catholic, and the, it was great. We saw a number of people come to faith in Christ, but they always referred to themselves as recovering Catholics because they uh, often they struggled with this idea: Can I really know that I'm I'm saved? Because for them, you know, are you are you really are you really saved? Because you have, you know, you have this purgatory where you have to work off your guilt. Uh, am I ever going to go to heaven? You know, who gets there? You know, it's really gets confusing, but using First John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so you, a lot of times you want to just help someone who really is a true believer know that they have eternal life. You want to help someone who is, thinks they're a believer but not. You want to help them know that they don't have eternal life so they really can exercise faith. So there are verses here. You'll see, go to 1 John um, chapter 2, verses like 6. This is, this, this is what believing means. Believing just isn't at one time saying, I believe Jesus exists. You know, I believe Abraham Lincoln exists. But I don't trust Abraham Lincoln for my life daily, moment by moment. But in believing in Jesus Christ, it's just not that he I bl- understood he lived and was crucified, it means that I give him my whole life and I want to live a certain way. So 2 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Or then moving over to, to 3 6, no one who lives in him, in Christ, keeps on sinning. Now, this is not, well, everyone in this room has, has sinned, and, and like me, I've already sinned today, you know, but it's not that I, I want to sin, and I continue in a habitual sin that I know is wrong, and it's characterizing my life. No one continues to sin, has either seen him or known him, and then 10 is, 10 is interesting because it pretty much divides the world in two ways, verse 3.10. This is how we know who the children of God are. And we talked a lot about the children of God here from John 1, uh, 12. This is how we know who they are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. So really, in biblical counseling, you are often helping the person love the people around them. You're helping them in progressive sanctification. So progressive sanctification, persevering, is just as much as being saved as that time where you recognized that you were a child of God and exercised faith. It all goes together. It it goes together in Romans 6.23. It's very important that the, the... the word uh, Lord is there. I think in the scriptures, I don't have the exact numbers in my mind anymore, but there's some places where it refers to Jesus in the New Testament. It's like 20-some times refers to him as Savior. It refers to him in Lord like 400 times. And Lord is master of our lives in a continual sense.